Hi, and welcome into another edition of the Russell Street Report. I'm Tony Lombardi here on Fanimal Radio. The Ravens advanced to 7-5 on the season after an impressive 26-16 victory in Atlanta over the Falcons. That win, coupled with a Steelers loss to the Los Angeles Chargers, puts them one half game behind the Steelers in the race for the AFC North title. The Ravens are using a formula that has worked for them in the past, most notably in 2000 and 2008, and that formula is run the football, control the clock, manage field position, protect the football, and keep it away from opponents. And so far, it's working for the Ravens with Lamar Jackson behind center. Now, a couple of key stats in the game against the Atlanta Falcons, and these are mind-boggling, folks. 366 net yards of offense for the Ravens compared to 131 for the high-flying act that is the Atlanta Falcons. Very impressive. And that is courtesy of, really, 77 offensive plays for the Ravens, 45 for the Falcons. Time of possession in the game, 39-39 for the Ravens to 20-21 for the Falcons. In the second half, it was amazing. I believe they only ran 10 plays of the Atlanta Falcons in the second half and possessed the ball just 5 minutes and 55 seconds as compared to the Ravens, 24 minutes and 5 seconds. The Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco debate rages on. We'll talk about that during the program. And also, right after the break, we'll be joined by Eric Eager. He covers the Kansas City Chiefs for Pro Football Focus, who really has bec- which has become a standard in the NFL for sports analytics. We'll talk to Eric. We'll also be joined later in the program by Cliff Brown from BaltimoreRavens.com. And to wrap things up, we'll be joined by Lynn Worthy. He covers the Chief for the Kansas City Star. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short timeout. And welcome back to the Rush Street Report. I'm Tony Lombardi. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus, he covers the Kansas City Chiefs for PFF. His name is Eric Eager. Eric, welcome into the program. Hey, how's it going? How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Uh, things are good here. Uh, it's been a fun NFL season so far. Very unpredictable in many ways, so it kind of makes it exciting. It does, and that's pretty much how the NFL wants it these days, to be unpredictable, parody, and all those good things. So, so yeah, def- definitely an interesting season so far. Let's talk, about the, let's talk about pro football focus first, because it's interesting to me how seemingly overnight, I know you guys probably don't think of it that way because you work there, but it seems like almost overnight it has become a standard for analytics in the NFL. Talk about the company, talk about how it's changed since Chris Collinsworth's involvement, and what do you see the future for Pro Football Focus? Yeah, so I think, interestingly, I think it it gets the analytics tag, but early on it was very much just scouting football differently, you know, so uh, for a long time, coaches would always grade their players on a scale, uh, you know, and, and we that was the first thing that PFF did was grade players on a scale from negative two to two. Uh, and, you know, basically trying to say, you know, what kind of what kind of block did this left guard make? What kind of you know, how did this inside linebacker take on, uh, you know, you know, this offensive lineman in space, all that kind of stuff. And over time, what we've been able to do is numeric, you know, make it into numerical, you know, scores for players, uh, ratings for teams, 
uh, you know, trying to predict, you know, who will win the next upcoming game, sort of more difficult, but uh, you know, and, and over time it's, it's grown and, and, you know, uh, since Chris bought the company, I think it's been pretty, uh, you know, pretty accelerated. So uh, prior to PFF, I was a math professor and, you know, and I had played football before, but I was ma- mostly just a math nerd. And over the course of the last, you know, uh, three, four five years, he's brought me on a, a few other people on to really take a deep dive into what, you know, what these numbers mean about football and how can we use them to uh, better understand the game. So if our viewers are interested in finding out how to get involved with PFF, how do they do that? Yeah, so so it's a, a couple different ways. So when we're you know in the off season, we're always trying to train people in some of our data collection activities. So we chart basically anything you can think of with respect to football. Um, but you know, I would say for somebody in my role, it's mostly you know learning as much math and statistics as you can while still trying to understand the game. Uh, I would say even though I played all through college and and I kept an interest in football even since I, I you know stopped playing. Just knowing mathematics and having this rich data set at my disposal has really helped me understand what wins football games more so than, you know, 21 years of playing the game could even tell me. So, Eric, let's get right to it. The Chiefs host the 7-5 Baltimore Ravens at Arrowhead Stadium on Sunday. The Chiefs are 10-2. and Their only two losses were both shootouts versus the New England Patriots. I think it was 43-40 to the Patriots won. And then, of course, the, the Monday night game in L.A. where the Rams beat the Chiefs 54-51, to the only time a team has ever scored 50 points or more in an NFL game and lost. So big shootouts. This past week, they went to Oakland, played the Raiders, and they lost. Or they won 40-33. to Talk about that game. It was the first game the Chiefs had had, uh, I think, since Kareem Hunt has been suspended and since they released him. Talk about that game and what you saw when the Chiefs played the Raiders. Yeah, and not only without Hunt, uh, it, difficulty in the sense that they had game planned the entire week to have Hunt as their running back, and then Friday the news came. So even though I think Spencer Ware and Damian Williams played fine, uh, they were certainly not playing in a game plan that was suited for them. Um, you know, it's interesting when we're talking about the Ravens, you know, because the running game is so integral to what they do, but running the football at the NFL level is, I would say, like a tertiary variable at best. Um, you know, in terms of winning football games. So while Kareem Hunt was great, he led, he still leads all running backs and broken tackles force, even after not playing this week. Uh, I, the downgrade from him to Spencer Ware is not necessarily substantial. And, you know, and as we saw on Sunday, it's overcome by what Patrick Mahomes can do as a sort of brilliant quarterback so far. Travis Kelsey, uh, you know, their tight ends on Sunday, Kelsey being chief among them, uh, you know, generated over 200 yards in the passing game. Uh, and then, you know, Tyree Kill only had one catch. He had a nice run, but he only had one catch, and they still were able to put up 40. So despite losing Hunt, I think that their offense is, you know, varied in the way that they can attack you. And I, I don't think – I don't foresee Kareem Hunt really moving the needle necessarily in terms of their win total uh, or their probability of winning the Super Bowl. It's nice to have a player like that, but ultimately, you know, running backs, except for a very few of them, are kind of a dime a dozen. That's interesting you would say that because I looked at Kareem Hunt as a multifaceted guy, a guy who really puts pressure on a defense, and then in turn that frees up some space for guys like Tariq Hill and Travis Kelsey. No, and, and I think that that is, you know, I think running backs that can catch the ball for sure are, are going to be ones that I think add more value. And, and we're not saying he's not valuable. We're just saying that if you go down to somebody like, 
you know, Spencer Ware, who, you know, is also kind of a low round draft pick like Kareem Hunt, uh, you know, you, you lose about a quarter of a win over the course of 16 games. So it, it means something. But if you were to lose Patrick Mahomes or Travis Kelsey or Tyree Kill, something like that, it would be worth substantially more. So, you know, for, if the Chiefs were to lose one of their superstar players, you know, it's weird to say, but Kareem Hunt is probably the, the most advantageous for them to lose. Travis Kelsey presents matchup problems for just about every team he faces. And when you look at the Ravens and some of their, what I call the soft white underbelly for the team, they, they struggle to cover tight ends. Now, I know that's pretty common across the league, but Kelsey arguably is the best tight end in, in the NFL right now. Talk about him a little bit with the special qualities he brings to the Kansas City Chiefs offense. And from your experience, what have opponents done when they've been successful at least to contain him? Yeah, he's, he's, I think, the only tight end, aside from Greg Olson, to have cons- three consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. He might end up setting the record for yards receiving by a tight end. Interestingly, he was a very effective player, even when the Chiefs had a more limited guy in Alex Smith, a quarterback. And, and I think that you know, showing what he can do under Mahomes really – uh, you know, highlights his value under Smith. He ran a lot of like bubble screens and he led the NFL in yards per catch after the catch among tight ends for like the four of his first five years. He's second this year, but mostly because he's been able to go downfield more. Um, and I think that, you know, he's very effective there. Honestly, teams that teams that can shut him down, I think need to have a safety who is sort of that multifaceted player who can cover in the slot, who can, you know, is big enough to, to handle him. Uh, you know, his size and things like that. And I, you know, I think the Ravens sort of struggle there because their, their two safeties are sort of more, uh, you know, that box, you know, uh, Jefferson's more of sort of a deeper guy. Weddle's kind of a box guy. None of those guys really play in the slot too up too much. And so if you put a corner on Kelsey, it's going to be tough. You just, cause he's too big, uh, to, you know, to physically handle. And if you put a safety on him, that's not used to covering, uh, you know, wide receivers in space, then, you know, Kelsey presents such a mismatch. So I do think that's one place where, you know, the Chiefs really do have an edge in this one. Well, then someone's going to have to tell Kelsey that it's a four o'clock game. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Make that yeah, he, he's he's uh, he's been a very nice player for the Chiefs. And he's had his he's had his moments of, you know, you know, getting personal foul penalties and things like that. I think this year he's really abated that. So, uh, yeah, he's a superstar for sure. You are a math major. You've played the game. You're now working for Pro Football Focus. Andy Reid said something pretty interesting, at least through Chris Collinsworth on one of the Sunday Night Football broadcasts. He said that no team in today's NFL will lose games due to their inability to stop the run. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I may or may not have given Chris that, that, that message myself. But okay. uh, it, it's one of those where if you look at what correlates to winning football games, you know, it's passing the football is first. Uh, stopping the pass is secondary. Uh, running the football is actually third. It's quite a bit down the list. And the wor- the least important variable of those four is stopping the run. If you look at last season, the uh, of the nine teams that had allowed the worst yards per carry, seven made the playoffs and eight had winning records. Uh, the Chargers were third in points allowed and they gave up the most yards per carry on the ground. So, um, you know, we've seen that, I think, a little bit in Baltimore, right? They've had a very, whether it was Ray Rice or Justin Fortet or Alex Collins, or now we have Gus Edwards, um, you know, the the Baltimore Ravens have, have been very effective on the ground in recent years, and that hasn't translated to wins, you know, playoff appearances and things like that. You know, running the football is one of those things you do when you're ahead. 
uh, and, and, and stopping the run is something that you do when you're behind. There, there, there are things that you don't actually do to get ahead or to get behind. Uh, and that's, I think, yeah, I think why, you know, the Chiefs have been poor against the run almost the entire Andy Reid era, and they continue to, you know, churn out 9, 10, 11, 12 win seasons. And I think it's one of those little hacks that, you know, some of the teams have figured out and, and not put resources in, and some of the teams, uh, I think, are overspending. The Ravens are almost flipping that script recently because in the last three games with Lamar Jackson as the starter, they've run for over 200 yards in each of those games. It seems like time of possession has been key to the Ravens' wins. They've had so many more plays. I think the they had 77 plays against the Atlanta Falcons versus 45. In the second half, Eric, they possessed the ball 24 minutes and 5 seconds to the Falcons, 5 minutes and 55 seconds. So that, those are crazy numbers, and it's working so far, but it's worked against teams that have trouble, or, or struggled to defend the run. Talk about that approach versus the Kansas City Chiefs. I, yeah, I mean, that's great. I think the, 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 the number that I heard was the Falcons had something like 10 second-half offensive snaps or something, and really hard to get anything done when you, when you, don't, uh, when you don't perform there. Or some, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, it is, it is something. So, you know, what, one of the things we have found in the running game's favor is that quarterback designed runs are one of the more effective plays in football. And we've seen that with Carolina, you know, Cam Newton is not the most efficient passer in the world, but where he does add a ton of value is running the football on design plays. Lamar Jackson so far this year, he's, he's averaging 6.9 yards per carry on designed runs to the left. He's averaging seven yards per carry on design runs to the right uh, on scrambles. He's averaging six yards per carry. I mean, he, you know, it, it, you take out some inside runs and kneel downs and stuff is where you get where he is, but he's terrific. And I think what that does is it adds value. A traditional handoff to the running back on average in the NFL gets you further away from scoring than, than throwing the football uh, almost, almost for every team, no matter how bad the passer is design quarterback runs get you closer to scoring, especially when the guy is as good at it as Lamar Jackson. So uh, I do think you can throw some of those statistics, you know, the, the, the heuristics out of the window when you are that good there. The issue that Chiefs opponents have had, and and some of this is noise, but some of this is real, is that the Chiefs generally start the game pretty good defensively, and they almost always score uh, on their first possession. The calculus is going to be a little bit different for the Ravens if they're behind seven nothing to a Chiefs team that they probably know can score thirty five. Then if they're you know they they the last few games they've been out ahead of the Bengals, they've been out ahead of Oakland in the last week Atlanta. They kind of controlled that entire game. Um, it'll be interesting to see you know if they if they get behind against the the Chiefs if they continue to try to run the football because the Chiefs are very soft there. They play a lot of sub packages. Their defensive linemen are more gap shooters than they are. Uh, block eaters, uh, and so forth. So uh, I, I wonder about game flow, uh, if, if I'm handicapping this game in terms of how well the Ravens are going to do with their improved rushing attack. It will be interesting to see how that high-flying offense does against the Ravens' number one-ranked defense. So let's, knowing what you know about the Kansas City Chiefs, let's talk about offensively and defensively. What, what's the Achilles heel on each side of the football? And if you are the Ravens, knowing what you know about the Kansas City Chiefs, how do you attack them on both sides of the football? Yeah, offensively, I, it's pretty it's pretty small. I mean, the, they have issues in the interior of their offensive line. I think Cameron Irving, a former first-round pick of the Browns, is currently their left guard. 
you know, against the Rams. The Rams didn't do much defensively against the Chiefs. What they did do is create a few turnovers uh, by by getting interior pressure uh, on the interior of the Chiefs offensive line. The right guard is currently on IR designated for return. So the Ravens have historically had great front sevens, and I think that they could they could possibly, you know, steal a few drives here and there by getting sacks. Uh, you know, Mahomes has been great under pressure this year. He's been great when holding the ball for a long time. Uh, so the, the Ravens will have to cover, uh, which will be tough, I think, because the, I think the Chiefs' secondary receivers are pretty good as well. Uh, so, you know, for me, I think you have to get pressure on Mahomes. You have to, you know, stop early down passing plays because, uh, you know, he's just so effective. He can do, you know, basically anything on, on third and short and things like that. So th- there's not a ton of weaknesses with them offensively. Defensively, it's all over the place. I mean, they they struggle stopping the run. Their linebackers are pretty poor in coverage. So, uh, I know Gus Edwards doesn't have the reputation necessarily, but I think Buck Allen could have, if he's healthy, could have a good game uh, catching the ball out of the backfield uh, against Anthony Hitchens and Reggie Braglin. Um, and at the corner position, I think that they're a little weak. I know the Ravens aren't great at receiver, but they, they have been able to stretch the field at times this year. So, uh, you know, I, the Chiefs' entire defense is their weakness of their team. And, and, I, and it just amounts to how accurate Lamar Jackson can be when they ask him to throw. So how do you see this playing out on Sunday? Yeah, I, so I think, the, I think the spread for the game is seven. I, I would be surprised uh, if, if it deviates too far from that number. Um, you know, Arrowhead's a tough place to play, especially uh, you know, in, in December. It's actually easier in January in the playoffs historically. But uh, you know, I, I would say that the Chiefs win uh, by anything between four and 11. You're on the fence there, Eric. <laughs> I, I, well, it's tough. I, it's a big game. So I'd be a little bit different in my approach if, if the Chargers did not win Sunday night. I think the Chargers continuing to put pressure on the Chiefs uh, will will keep the Chiefs playing, you know, uh, you know, foot to the foot to the ground here. And and I think when they do, uh, it's a it's a pretty um, uh, it's a pretty potent team. It really is, and San Diego's are. St- I'm still calling them San Diego, Eric. Los Angeles Chargers. I don't think I'm alone in that category, though. But the Chargers certainly are, are playing good football and, and certainly keeping the pressure on the Chiefs to win. So, thanks for joining us from Pro Football Focus. Anything you like to tell our listeners and viewers about Pro Football Focus? Yeah, so um, we have some cool stuff at PFF. We have a. Uh, I, I host a uh, podcast called the PFF Forecast. So when you're done listening to this. Uh, Listen to this podcast first, obviously, but when you're done with that, uh, give us a listen. We're on iTunes. We're on Podcast One. Uh, basically, we're trying to break down every single game using our analytical tools. And a lot of the stuff I talked about today uh, is the focus when we talk about, uh, you know, sort of handicapping every game. So a lot of fun. And, and we're doing some cool things at PFF. So just check us out. There he is, Eric Eager. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy holidays to you and yours. Yep. You too. Take care. Thank you. Okay, we're going to take a short time out. When we come back, we'll be joined by Cliff Brown from the Baltimore Ravens. Don't go away. Like 33rd Street was to Colt fans, Russell Street will become legendary for future generations of Raven fans. Not only is Russell Street the team's address on Sunday, it's now home to the website voted Baltimore's best five years in a row. You've known them as Ravens247.com for years, and now you'll love them as RussellStreetReport.com for many more. There's nothing else like it for Baltimore football fans. Trust me, RussellStreetReport.com. Baltimore's home for football 24-7. 
And welcome back into the Russell Street Report. I'm Tony Lombardi. Joining us now via the Mobile One Hotline from the Baltimore Ravens is Cliff Brown. Cliff, welcome into Russell Street Report. How are you? I'm fine, Tony. Thanks for having me. How are you? Hey, my pleasure. I'm good. Hey, Cliff, I got to ask you from from the Ravens' castle, it, you know, and from my position from afar, I'm looking at this Lamar Jackson versus Joe Flacco is almost like a political divide. It seems like you've got the Democrats and the Republicans, and you've got those wanting Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco, and there's no in between. What's going on out there? <laughs> I don't think it's that bad, Tony. Uh, <laughs> you know, as far as the team is concerned, I think that. Um, Winning is obviously the bottom line. Absolutely. Um, so that uh, I think that has to be kept in perspective and should be kept in perspective with fans as well. I mean, obviously, there's going to be debate about the quarterback. It's the most important position. And you've got two guys who have such contrasting styles. But right now, as, as we speak today, the bottom line is the Ravens have won three straight games and have a chance to – get in the playoffs and even win the AFC North, something that didn't seem really in the conversation when they entered the bye at four and five. So winning's the bottom line no matter who's on the field. And right now, yeah, I think the Ravens feel much better uh three now than they did three weeks ago. Now when you look at Joe Flacco on the sidelines, now Joe's never been an excitable guy to begin with, even when he's playing. He looks like, you know, everybody's always said the, the deer in the headlights. But this past Sunday, when the Ravens were down in Atlanta, Joe looked really uninterested. And I'm just wondering, being in the building, do you see a different Joe Flacco now that he's not playing? Or is it he the same guy off the field? We just kind of read into it too much from afar. Yeah, I think, you know, it's unfair to read into what Joe's thinking until we hear from Joe. Uh, we haven't heard from Joe you know, media hasn't heard from him since uh, his injury. Now, I'm sure, you know, people close to him, obviously he's talking to them. And Joe has never been shy about speaking for himself. So I think that when we do hear from Joe, he'll be candid about, you know, his feelings since he's been hurt and his feelings now. But, you know, Joe, Joe has always been a team guy. Um, he's been here his whole career. I'm sure he's happy that the Ravens have won the last three games. And I'm sure that when he's healthy, he's going to want to play. Uh, so, you know, that's true for any player. And I think that, um, you know, it is obviously remains to be seen what's going to be happening moving forward. But, yeah, I wouldn't get caught up into how he looks, what he's doing. Um, no, I, I think that would be unfair to him. With respect to Lamar Jackson, it seems like there's a new energy with the Ravens, and I think that's evident on the sidelines. The guys are just really getting into the game. They seem to be ecstatic after they beat the Atlanta Falcons on the road. Talk about that a little bit and talk about the excitement that Lamar's you know, presence has injected into the team. I mean, yeah, there's no question he's a dynamic uh, player. Uh, you know, that, that touchdown run he had against Atlanta Sunday, I don't think there's any other quarterback in the NFL who scores on that play. Uh, just a combination of speed and agility he has. And I think that another thing, I think people are talking about it more, but that is not being talked about enough is how much the Ravens can control or have controlled the football the last three games with their offense. I mean, they had 39 minutes of time of possession against Atlanta. When your defense, which, and they do have a good defense, only has to play 21 minutes on the clock, 
that has a huge impact on how they can perform as well. So, yeah, I mean, it hasn't been just Lamar. It's been the effect on the running game. Obviously, the way Gus Edwards has run the last three weeks. The, the whole look and identity of the Ravens' offense has changed over the last few weeks, and it has changed successfully. And certainly, you know, Cincinnati, Oakland, and even Atlanta are not three of the you know, top-tier teams in the NFL. But we're about to get a look at, you know, how they're going to do against one of the top teams in the NFL, which is the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you can control the football uh, against anybody, it doesn't matter how good the other team's offense is. I've never seen, you know, Patrick Mahomes or Phillip Rivers or any quarterback throw a touchdown pass from the bench. And that's where the Ravens' offense is keeping the opponent's offense on the bench. Yeah, the players are different. But the formula seems to be the same as that formula that the Ravens used back in 2000 when they had that stretch run cliff where they just possessed the football. They wore it up down opposing defenses. They tried to play mistake-free football, and that's certainly something the Ravens could clean up from this past week against Atlanta. But, you know, it's a formula that's worked in the past, and maybe it's going to work going forward. I think that's an excellent point. So it worked in 2008 when Joe Flacco was a rookie quarterback. That's true, too. I mean, uh... A, a running a running game is always the quarterback's best friend, particularly for a young quarterback. And yeah, I mean, obviously Lamar, you know, needs to develop as a quarterback. We have a three-game sample window of him as a starter, so this is not the beginning. This is the beginning, not the end, of whatever he's going to be as a quarterback. But certainly, the running game helps him. Obviously, he's a part of that running game. But there isn't a pressure on Lamar Jackson right now to throw for 300 yards or three touchdowns. The Ravens can win without him doing that. Now, you know, again, he has to develop as a passer and he has to develop as a pocket passer. But, yeah, he doesn't have to come in. uh, If they're going to continue to run the football like this, he does not have to come in and throw for, you know, 300, 350 yards. So the fact that he, you know, his passing numbers don't look as good as, you know, Joe's would or, or other quarterback isn't really as relevant as long as they can run the football the way they have been. We're speaking with Cliff Brown from BaltimoreRavens.com on the Mobile One Hotline. Cliff, talking about the passing game and Lamar Jackson's, I guess that you could call them shortcomings right now. He's a, he's a work in progress. There was a play against the Falcons where he overthrew John Brown, who was wide open. He probably threw him, overthrew him by like 8 to 10 yards. Do you think that as this plays out and – the running game becomes more and more a part of what, who the Ravens are, and they de-emphasize passing, while, particularly when they're in the lead. Do you think there's an, a chance that there might be some discontent amongst the receiving core? Well, you know, if, if, he, continues, if he continues to miss guys who are wide open on a regular basis, you know, certainly that could happen. But I think that, you know, the, what's going on is, players know that, as you mentioned, he is a work in progress. And I think that at this point, they're willing to live with, you know, some of the overthrows or misthrows uh, because it's, it's offset by what he's giving them um, on other plays. He is making some good throws. Um, frankly, the receivers have to help him out when he does make good throws. I mean, he also had a couple of drops Sunday that hurt the Ravens. So, yeah, Sunday, I think, was his most quote-unquote shaky game as a quarterback. You know, you can't put the ball on the ground three times in one half. Uh, yes, he did miss some open throws. But I don't think his 
his throwing has been, you know, a disaster because he's made good throws mixed in with the bad throws. I mean, he made some excellent throws in all three games mixed in with some throws that he should have made. So, again, that's something that you hope becomes more consistent as he gains more and more experience, as he gets more and more reps, as he's in more and more game action. Everybody knows it's one thing to throw, you know, footballs on the sidelines, to throw footballs in practice. You know, in game situations, that's the ultimate test. And, yeah, I think Lamar Jackson has, you know, made some good throws. And you also will see, you know, experienced quarterbacks like Ben Roethlisberger. I've seen him last two weeks miss guys to touchdowns wide open as well. It's going to happen. Lamar's getting scrutinized you know, incredibly because of the situation he's in. But, again, the bottom line is, to me, he's still making way more winning plays than bad plays, and the record so far shows that. We're speaking with Cliff Brown from BaltimoreRavens.com on the Mobile One Hotline. Cliff, Lamar Jackson was quick to point out that he gave a lot of credit to his offensive line in this game against the Atlanta Falcons. And when I look at the Ravens' offensive line, I even think back to 2017 with all their injuries that they had. They were able to gel as an offensive line and as a unit and actually have a really good season in 2017. 2018 got off to a kind of a sloppy start, but all of a sudden you're starting to see this offensive line gel a little bit better. Talk about that unit and what you've seen so far from, that, from the coaching staff with the Baltimore Ravens regarding the offensive line. Yeah, I think with most teams, uh, the running game is usually, if it's going to be good, usually can get better later in the season. I mean, you know, training camp and the preseason just isn't enough time for offensive lines for the most part, other than playing together for a while, to really gel the way they, they can late in the season if guys stay healthy. But certainly this year, you know, there have been some definite, you know, positives for the Ravens that have helped the offensive line become really good. You know, obviously having Marshall Yonder healthy again is, is a huge key. Uh, the insertion of Orlando Brown Jr. is a starting right tackle, and what he's brought, his physicality, I think has been really important. I think Ronnie Stanley at left tackle has probably had his best season, even playing you know, through an, an ankle injury. He's been really solid. I mean, how many times have you seen you know, a Ravens quarterback getting pressure from the blind side? Not many. So, you know, and even you know, Matt Skurr has done better as a center than I think a lot of people thought he was going to do. And I think this change to a power running style, the read option, what they're doing now, helps the offensive line. I mean, they know they can fire off now and just go after people on these running plays. Lamar's presence make, is making linebackers hesitate, and just that little hesitation sets up so many more blocks than before. And, yeah, they're playing with a lot of confidence now. The Ravens, again, they have an identity now. They're running the, they know they can run the football. They believe they can run the football against anybody. And that sets you up to have good offensive line play. And then even when they do pass, because they're not in obvious passing situations as much, that helps them keep these pass rushes away from the quarterback as well. Speaking of offensive line play and speaking of players that are really coming on, Marlon Humphrey – there's a guy playing with a lot of confidence, Cliff, a guy that's really bringing his game. And i got to admit, I'll raise my hand if I'm asked who do I prefer, Marlon Humphrey or O.J. Howard, on the clock for the Ravens in the first round of 2017 draft. Talk about Marlon Humphrey and how he's really stepping up his game. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, um, he is really uh, on the verge, I think, of becoming 
you know, one of the best corners in the NFL if he keeps his, continues his trend moving forward in the next year. And the Ravens, their cornerback unit now, um, it's been a long time to me since they had, you know, four deep corners. When you have Marlon, now you have Jimmy Smith, who last couple of weeks has also played a high level uh, after his return. Brandon Carty and Mr. Steady over there. And Tavon Young, who's a really good slot corner. I mean, that's four guys they can put out there and don't feel bad about whatever matchup uh, another team tries to throw at them. So that allows them to do so many more things, cover opposing offenses in so many more ways. Uh, they're, they're not only getting sacks when, you know, guys up front are beating the man in front of them, they're getting coverage sacks now because these quarterbacks are having to hold the ball longer than they want to because the coverage is so good. So, yeah, Marlon, you know, going into his own has been a huge key, but all those guys are helped by playing with each other. I mean, Marlon, Jimmy, Brandon, Tavon, they're all holding up their end. So, again, that allows Wink Martin, their defensive coordinator, to do so many more things because he feels very confident those corners are not going to give up big plays. The one guy missing from that defensive secondary, Cliff, is Derwin James. The Ravens had an opportunity to take him, but they moved back in the draft. They ended up taking Hayden Hurst. Talk about Hurst so far, because when you look at the two young tight ends that the Ravens have, clearly the most productive has been Mark Andrews. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that, you know, as, as the number one pick, uh, Hurst was the guy expected to be, you know, the most dynamic player at the tight end position, and that hasn't happened for him yet. Uh, Mark Andrews has played extremely well. I think is a rookie and has given them a boost. And obviously, Nick Boyle's a heck of a blocker, which becomes even more important now that they've gone to the style of offense that they've, they've had. Uh, Max Williams, you know, he's had his moments as well. You know, Hurst, he seems like he really got thrown off by, you know, that foot injury he had uh, in the preseason. During training camp, he looked terrific. Uh, every practice, he was, you know, flashing. But since he's been hurt and has returned, it has been more of a struggle for him. So, you know, the Ravens have to hope that, you know, as happens with a lot of rookies, that he'll get his feet wet and shake it off. Uh, I think it's way too soon to say that Hurst is not going to be the player the Ravens expected him to be. He very well may be that and more, but obviously it's going to take some more time. But at least they have, if Hurst doesn't blossom this year and start making more plays, it's not like they don't have another alternative tight end to go to because of the way Andrews has stepped up and because of the way Boyle is playing. Now I have to ask this question, Cliff. The Ravens advance to the playoffs. Let's assume that they do. Joe Flacco's healthy. The matchups are such that Joe should play. Do you think that they'd be bold enough to shift gears and hand the ball back to Joe Flacco? <laughs> I, well, there's so many hypotheticals that go, that go forward. I wouldn't rule out anything. And I, I don't, I don't like to give, I don't know, uh, Ryan defense answers, but I, I, I wouldn't look for something as, as, as dramatic as say, if Lamar starts the rest of the way and goes into the playoffs with the starter, I wouldn't think that he'd be on a quote unquote, you know, short lease situation that, you know, if he had a bad quarter or a bad half that, they would turn to Joe, but you just never know. I mean, um, it's not like the Ravens cannot win with either. Uh, you can win. You can win games with Joe Flacco. He's won a Super Bowl. He's been an MVP of a Super Bowl. He's won multiple playoff games on the road. He's won in places like Pittsburgh and Kansas City. 
and New England in playoff games. So you can win with Joe Flacco. Uh, it's a much smaller sample, sample size of Lamar, but obviously you can win NFL football games and Lamar Jackson is your starting quarterback. So I just think that, you know, Coach Arbaugh has handled this in a way that week to week we're going to try and put the best team forward on the field that gives us a chance to win. The last three weeks has been Lamar. Um, I would think at this point, you know, indications are that it certainly could continue to be Lamar moving forward. But I don't think that um, John feels that you can't win with any of the three quarterbacks he has. And if he feels that at a particular situation that this guy needs to play or that guy, uh, then that's the move he's going to make because I don't think he's afraid to do whatever he thinks needs to be done for the Ravens to win. Speaking with Cliff Brown from BaltimoreRavens.com, last question for you, Cliff, is sort of a two-parter. Do the Ravens make the playoffs, and do they win the AFC North? <laughs> well, I hope the answer is yes and yes. Um, I, I think they do make the playoffs. Um, I like I like the way they're playing now. Uh, obviously, the schedule, everybody knew the schedule was going to be tough going down the stretch. I think the, the win Sunday was big. Um, you know, Atlanta, even though they haven't had the season that they wanted to, they're still not an easy team to beat in Atlanta, and they have a great offense. So that was a big win. Um, this is a real tough game, obviously, coming up in Kansas City, one of the toughest places to play. Uh, if the Ravens win Sunday, uh, I'll really feel great about the chances of them making the playoffs. And even if they don't, I think the Ravens, what we're seeing now with their running game, and certainly with their defense, is not a mirage, uh, and that they – will play well enough to make the playoffs. As far as winning the division, uh, I think that's more in the Steelers' hands than it is the Ravens. I mean, they still have the edge with that half-game lead. They have a tough stretch. Um, people always want to throw dirt on the Steelers, and to me that's when they come out and play some of their best football. So uh, if they bounce out of, of their funk right now, you know, I still think they have the edge to win the division, but if they don't, I think the Ravens are going to push them hard. And I think it's probably going to come down to the last week. And obviously it would be great for the Ravens not only to get into the playoffs, but to win the division. And two and a half weeks ago when they were four and five, it was hard to see them winning the division. Now they've got a real shot. There he is, Cliff Brown from BaltimoreRavens.com. Cliff, th thanks so much for joining us today. Anytime, Tony, man. Be good. All right, take care. Okay, we're going to take a quick timeout. When we return here on the Russell Street Report, We'll be joined by Lynn Worthy from the Kansas City Star. Don't go away. Hi, and welcome back into the Russell Street Report. I'm Tony Lombardi. Joining us now on the Mobile One Hotline, he works for the Kansas City Star. He covers the Kansas City Chiefs for the Kansas City Star. His name is Lynn Worthy. Lynn, welcome into the program. How are you today? Thanks. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So big news coming out of Kansas City as it relates to the Chiefs. Hakeem Hunt suspended, and now he's cleared waivers and now is a free agent. Talk about that impact on the team, Lynn, if you could, in terms of how it may affect the team on the field, if at all, or if it's affected the team at all in the locker room. 
Well, you know, I think um, having played a game this past weekend, I think with the timing, it definitely affected emotionally um, the team because, uh, you know, Friday, pretty much that's the day when the hay's in the barn, you're already got your game plan set and everybody's just sort of getting ready to get on the road. And then you find out that, you know, Kareem Hunt, who's a guy who led the NFL in rushing last year, um, who's I think it produced um, well over a thousand yards of total offense this season between rushing and receiving um, and an energy guy, you know, I mean, a guy who uh, we saw a lot of the highlights that went viral this year, whether it's him hurdling guys and things like that. Um, all of a sudden you take him out of the equation, not just, you know, an injury, but he's gone for, you know, for good now. Um, so I think that hit some guys emotionally and obviously they, they, you know, as all football guys say, next man up and you, you push forward. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I keep thinking back to earlier this season, he had stood in front of his locker after a game talking about, you know, him and Mahomes being in the same draft class, being guys who had the conversation as rookies about how they wanted to take over the Chiefs kingdom, as they like to call it out here. Um, and now all of a sudden, you know, he's gone. Has it affected Mahomes at all? Um, I think he hasn't really let it show. I mean, obviously he, he talked and he talked about, um, you know, they were close and he still talked to him after, you know, he's been after the team released him. Um, but you know, he's going to go out and play. I mean, I think, you know, even a game that was a little bit of a rough start against Oakland, he still had four touchdowns, didn't commit a turnover, um, just shy of 300 yards passing. So, um, I'm sure it affected him mentally, emotionally, but I mean, he still went out there and performed and um, made plays. And when I say made plays, I mean stuff that wasn't just, you know, uh, throwing open guys, but had to make things happen. He did that. So um, I think the interesting thing or one of the interesting things on the football field will be how they adjust and how this offense has to adapt a little bit with without him in there and how they sort of make use of the strengths of the running backs that they will have on the field. You know, here in Baltimore, there was a similar incident with Ray Rice a few years back. And, you know, Ray Rice explained to the team what went down. The team didn't see visual evidence. And then when visual evidence surfaced, everything changed. It was almost as if the Ravens didn't want to pursue that visual evidence, Lynn. And they never really, you know, you would think that given the resources of a team in the NFL, that they could dig in a little bit more. But Sure enough, TMZ did the digging for them and turned up the video just as they did with Hakeem Hunt. Do you think it's a situation, because I, I blame the Ravens a little bit for not digging into that with Ray Rice a little bit more, but do you think it's a situation in Kansas City that they really didn't want to find out what Hakeem Hunt did back in February? Uh, well, everything that we've, found, that we've been told through our reporting here has been that um, the Chiefs, you know, they as soon as the incident, or they were aware of the incident. They sat down. They, they you know, got in touch with him and talked to him about what happened. Um, obviously, there were police reports that were available. And then, as far as the video, um, we what we've been told was they were pursuing the video, and then were told by the league to stop because the league was, you know, the procedure is the league handles that, so you sort of try and eliminate. Uh, at least in theory, bias from the team. And so the league was the one who was, you know, handling the investigation and told them to stop pursuing the video. So um, and I think the fact that, the, you know, the, the release, um, the, them releasing Kareem was, you know, clearly they stated the fact that they, he was untruthful with them was the, the impetus for the release um, because clearly, you know, they thought that they had a They knew what was going on. Um, as far as they knew, the league had investigating or wasn't investigating, and they didn't think anything was going to come from this. I mean, for the owner, Clark Hunt, to sit out there in training camp and say that, you know, they felt like it was more of a 
thing where he just had to be more careful about who he was around to make better decisions and that he was going to make better decisions. And they didn't expect um, discipline from the league. Um, I think they felt like they had an understanding of what had gone on and the league was handling it. So for this to come out, I think it really hit them um, off guard. And I don't think it was because they didn't want to know. I think it was because they thought they had a feel for what had happened and that things were going on, you know, were taken care of um, by the league. So maybe it's a question of the league not wanting to know, and maybe that was the case with Ray Rice, and maybe it was the case with Reuben Foster, who finds a job with the Washington Redskins claimed off waivers. Do you think Hakeem Hunt ever finds another job? Um, you know, I mean, considering how, how young he is, I mean, he did, make, he did clear waivers, but considering, you know, he's 23 years old, um, he's a guy who's not, you know, going to have a high price tag. Uh, he's a skilled guy. I mean, just as far as from a football standpoint, obviously – you know, there's not there's no defending his actions. Um, but I think um, I think it's probably almost like a uh, almost a 10 year difference between where he was at in his career and Ray Rice was. Um, so that makes me think that somebody at some point will probably take a chance on him. Um, the there's definitely going to be a suspension, though, and you don't know how long that's going to be because there's you know, there's that incident. There's starting to be um, come light some other incidents that the league will have to look into. And then the fact that he wasn't truthful, because if you look at the the player, uh, the NFL's conduct policy, just by not being truthful, it, that gives them leeway to you know add more disciplinary action on top of whatever he's got for the incident. So. I think somebody takes a chance on him. I think there's going to be a suspension, and I don't know if it's one of those things where you maybe don't see him for a year and then he surfaces somewhere. All right, Lynn, let's take it back to the field. Let's look at that Raiders game. The Chiefs go into Oakland. They win 40-33 to despite the Kareem Hunt hangover. Talk about that game a little bit. Do you think that was a game that the Chiefs maybe coasted through it a little bit, expecting to really take it to the Chiefs? Because I think they were 16-point road favorites heading into Oakland. Or do you think it was a question of the Raiders just playing better than the Chiefs thought they would? You know, I think it was more the Raiders playing better than than you probably would have expected, you know, just by looking at their record and what they've done this season. Um, I think there was, you know, clearly some of it was different personnel because of, um, you know, the Chiefs not having, obviously, Kareem Hunt, um, not having Sammy Watkins, who was out with an injury. And the Raiders did a good job defending Tyreek Hill, who's, you know, been uh, one of the top receivers in the NFL this season. So the Chiefs had to lean a lot on that Mahomes-Travis-Kelsey connection. Um, Kelsey had a career day and really carried them. Um, And, you know, it's funny because around here we were talking about the game just seemed offensively like the Chiefs struggled and were disjointed and out of sync and however else you want to say it. And he scored 40 points on the road. So I think going forward, um, you know, you expect that offense to get back clicking once they get time to game plan with the running backs that will be in there, Spencer Ware and Damian Williams. Um, and then also, you know, ideally uh, Sammy Watkins comes back in the next week or two. So I think the offense will pick back up. Um, it was just one of those weeks where, um, you know, they were still working through some things and also coming off the bye week. So there might have been some rust there, too. Lynn, we know that Andy Reid has his way with quarterbacks, that he's an offensive genius, and that he can really get the best out of his quarterbacks. Did you ever think that Patrick Mahomes would be as good as he is? I wasn't sure how good he would be, but I definitely didn't think he would be this good this soon. So, I mean, I, you know, just before the season started, I remember talking to somebody and saying, you know, by the end of the season, I think he'll be, you know, hitting his stride and be doing pretty well. And they were sort of shocked. They're like, oh, it's by the end of the season. I was like, well, kids played one game. How good do you expect him to be right out the gate? 
And then he comes out the gate and about as good as an age buddy he's ever been coming out of the gate. So um, I didn't see that coming. And, um, you know, and the, the thing that really stands out is, uh, or a couple of things that stand out is one, his ability to make plays off script, you know, whether it's, you know, that, that left-handed pass from the Monday night football game or that, the, yeah. the, pa- the, the touchdown pass where it seems like he covered every inch from sideline to sideline before throwing it to Chris Conley in the corner of the end zone. Um, you know, that, and the, I mean, there's that, there's the arm strength. And then the other thing is just when, you know, he seems to be able to bounce back, you know, um, he's had games where he's had, tough stretches, tough halves. I mean, the New England game, they were down. He threw two first half interceptions and then he comes back and he's, you know, and they couldn't stop him in the second half. And if not for a field goal on the last play of the game, that's a tie game. Um, so yeah, he's, um, he's been pretty unique, pretty special. I mean, he's still obviously early in his career, but um, I mean, he was, he's the fastest guy uh, in NFL history to 4,000 yards passing. So um, he's, uh, he's doing a lot right now. On the other side of the football, the Chiefs have had some struggles on defense and against the Oakland Raiders. After a miserable game against the Ravens in Baltimore, Derek Carr had a passer rating of 123.2. And then the rushing attack, which was then the 23rd ranked in the league, they run for 171 yards. Talk about the Chiefs' defense as it stands today. Yeah, the, the main thing with the defense, I think, has been just it's, it hasn't been uh, consistent enough. Um, you know, there's been times where, you know, they've been able to hold up pretty well against, uh, against the run and in times when it seems like they can't stop teams. Um, they've had stretches where, you know, they've uh, held teams to, you know, uh, it was a couple games back before the Rams game. They'd held, you know, about three or four teams in a row to, you know, uh, I think it was 20 points or less or right in that ballpark. So they were they were holding their own. But then, you know, the Rams game obviously is 54 points. And some of those were offensive uh, offensive touchdowns or touchdowns that were given up by the offense to the opposing defense. But um, it's been a lack of consistency. Um you know they're starting to get some guys back. You know Eric Berry could be back. Sorry, Eric Berry could be back this week. Um, that's still not uh, for certain, but they expect to get him back somewhere in the next couple of weeks. Um, Dan Sorensen was a guy that they that missed the first, I think it was eight games of the season. Um, so they've they've got some talent. It's just a matter of consistently being able to play as a unit. I mean this last game against Oakland sort of demonstrated that where they had shut down Oakland throughout the first half. Oakland puts together a drive at the end of the half, scores a touchdown, and then in the second half, Oakland scored on all but one possession, either touchdowns or field goals. So it's a matter of putting it together, I think, for them. Lynn, you mentioned earlier Travis Kelsey. What do you do to stop this guy besides tying his hands and his arms together? (laughs) Well, you've got to devote multiple people to him. I mean, that's... One of the things that the Chiefs have really uh, thrived on this year is making you make tough decisions on how to cover people. Because you got Tyreek Hill, who's probably the fastest guy in the NFL, and then you've got Kelsey, who's been a mis- uh, mismatch for safeties, linebackers, and corners all season. So you've got to devote multiple people to him. Or um, if you just had sort of a unique guy who you feel like can, can match up with him, then try your luck that way. But, I mean... Um, he's one of those guys who just is a problem because of his, his size at 6'5", and I think they list him around 260. Um, he's got speed and quickness, um, and he, he does a lot of damage after the catch. So he's a guy who catches it, and he's not just a, you know, you get it to his hands, and he's going to fall down right there. You're going to just be able to get him down easily. Um, we've seen him this year put, you know, make cuts and go past defensive backs. So, I mean, it's, um, 
it's a challenge. It's something that, you know, uh, it's one of those things that sets them apart. Plus, I've heard opposing coaches say you have to basically treat him like a big wide receiver, not just because of his skill set, but because how they line him up all over the field. Right. And you mentioned before he's a mismatch sometimes for corners as well. And it made me think of when the Denver Broncos, when they had Aqib Tlaib and they played the New England Patriots, they would, they would match up Tlaib against Gronk. And it seemed to work out in certain situations. Has anyone done that with Kelsey so far this season? Um, I think, that, you know, the, the Patriots game he had, I don't think he had as great a game. And I know one of the things they did there was, you know, they did devote multiple people, but they also they tried to make sure that they jammed him a lot at the line of scrimmage to keep him from getting, you know, clean releases. And I think that was one of the things to just sort of throw timing off. Um, and I think he even mentioned, I think maybe it was the week after, about how you know he got bumped just about every play that he tried to get off the line of scrimmage. And now, obviously, the Chiefs can move him around and sort of help with their release. But um, I don't know that there's been a matchup where you know they've just devoted one guy to him and been able to sort of live with that. Uh, I think the teams that have tried to do that um, <laughs> have sort of suffered the consequences. Um, I mean, in you know, and obviously he's coming off a game where he had a career high with 12 receptions, 168 yards, I believe it was. So he counted for um, more than half of their catches and more than half of their receiving yards. Filling NFL stadiums has been a, a problem for teams across the league, and you see it every time you turn on the TV, except when you turn on a game that includes the Kansas City Chiefs playing at Arrowhead Stadium. Talk about that home field advantage at Arrowhead. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they they like to claim about how it's been recorded as one is the loudest place, one of the loudest places in the NFL. Um, and this year, I think with the the excitement of Mahomes, because you know it's been uh, was it thirty plus years since they actually had a quarterback that they drafted in the first round who's been their guy. I think that alone, the excitement behind just having a quarterback they call their own. The fact that they were coming off a successful season last year, not successful in the playoffs, but, you know, overall. Um, and the fact that they felt like they had weapons. I mean, you knew that they had Tyree Kill. They had Travis Kelsey. They signed Sammy Watkins, um, Kareem Hunt, who obviously isn't there anymore, but was coming off a rushing title. I think there was a lot of that. And then they start their first two games on the road, two big wins. Mahomes starts to build momentum. So once they first got here and played a game, I mean, it was one of those. It was it was one of those days where you could barely get into the parking lot. I think it took almost an hour just to sort of navigate through there to get into the stadium pregame. Um, so yeah, I think the fact that I mean, this and the fan base here is obviously you know a big uh, has been behind the Chiefs for a long time. But I think there's a sense of the excitement that Mahomes brings that um, that there's a there's a sense that you know they could have something special this season. Um, so. Uh, games at home, yeah, teams, this has been a tough environment for teams to come into. So this Sunday, the Ravens face Kansas City as seven-and-a-half-point underdogs. The over-under in the, in the game is 53. Do you see a situation, or could you envision a situation where the Ravens could steal a win in Arrowhead? To me, it's going to be about the tempo of the game. So whoever controls sort of the, the tempo or the pace, um, if the Ravens are able to control the ball, keep Mahomes and the offense off of the field, um, make it sort of a low-scoring or lower-scoring game. Um, I think that bodes in their favor. But if the Chiefs get up at home and make the Ravens have to play catch-up, um, I'm not sure how that goes for the Ravens just because, you know, I mean, whether it's Flacco or um, Lamar Jackson, uh, the 
the the fact that they have to play catch up with Mahomes and keep pace with that offense is a challenge, first of all. And then second of all, the, the Chiefs, despite, you know, giving up as many yards as they have, they've got some guys who can get off the pa- after the passer, whether that's D Ford, who, you know, has uh, ten and a half sacks, is amongst the top ten pass rushers in the league in terms of sacks. Um, I think Pro Football Focus has him as the top edge rusher in the NFL so far uh, in terms of pressures. Um, Chris Jones is another guy who's got uh, who's in the top ten in sacks in the NFL. And then Justin Houston's missed a few games this year, but he's back healthy now, and he's a guy who's proven uh, pass rusher off the edge too. So I think the tempo of the game is going to decide uh, the outcome in a large part. So, Lynn Worthy, what's going to happen? Who wins the game? Um, well, I'm going to have to, I guess I'll, I'll have to stick with the Chiefs. Um, I think the last time I picked against them was the first game of the season, and I looked like a fool, so I've just sort of gone with them <laughs> the rest of the way. Um, you know, because you, you say, ah, they're not going to pull this one off. And then Mahomes comes out there and, you know, was the talk of the NFL. And he's sort of been the talk of the NFL ever since. So, um, you know, with that offense uh, playing at home, um, it's hard to pick against them. Um, I haven't really thought of a score, but uh, I guess I'd probably give the, the, the Chiefs probably a two touchdown edge at home. But, you know, I'm not necessarily real good on the predicting. <laughs> Nor am I, and I've, I've predicted against the Ravens last week. I'm predicting that the Chiefs win this one 31-20, so we'll see how it goes. It's going to be an interesting game nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. I mean, one of the top defenses statistically in the NFL against one of the top offenses, um, so if nothing else, that matchup will be interesting to see how it plays out. So there he is. Lynn Worthy covers the Chiefs for the Kansas City Star. Lynn, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And that's it for the Russell Street Report today on Fanimal Radio. Special thanks to Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, Cliff Brown from BaltimoreRavens.com, and Lynn Worthy from the Kansas City Star. Be sure to subscribe to Fanimal Radio on iTunes and YouTube. You can check us out on FanimalRadio.com as well. On behalf of all of us at Russell Street Report, thanks for tuning in, and please join us again next week when we recap the Ravens at the Kansas City Chiefs. Have a great week, everyone.